straight from WCHO Studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It's the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show with Chris and C.L. Brown. Chris is co-author of Thunder Sports Network and a member of the Sports Roundtable on Seattle Radio. C.L. is the senior writer for TheAthletic.com College Basketball. Thanks for joining us on this hot summery day, no matter where you are. And that's true somewhere. And most wheres. Basically everywhere. But but I, I digress. It's time for Sibling Rivalry Sports. This is Chris Brown, and I'm reporting on the phone from the North Pole because I have an important sports Chris, 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 hold up, man, hold up, hold up. Um, Let's just start the show this week. Is that cool? I got a a sports report (laughs) from the North Pole. (laughs) I I, I think the people out here are good. The good people of Chapel Borough (laughs) are good from the North Pole. (laughs) All right, whatever you say, CL. Wait, at least I can do this. CL! What's good? What's good, people? It's another exciting week here at the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show. I am C.L. Brown, senior writer for college basketball at theathletic.com, and the co-host with the co-most, my brother, Chris Brown. I'll let you do your own hype. Yes, I'm Chris Brown, and I'm on the phone this week. I haven't phoned in remotely, but... uh, Ready to roll with a great show. Ready to roll and give you guys the best we got. So let's just run, jump right into the big playback. The big payback. So this is this is kind of crazy to me. Um, uh, an attorney in Louisiana filed suit against the NFL. To basically, uh, he he wants to question Commissioner NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and three of the officials from January's NFC title game over a no call, the the infamous pass interference call that uh, well that didn't get called <laughs> late in that game, and New Orleans goes on to uh, lose that game uh, to the Rams and. A Louisiana judge ordered the other day that uh, that this can go forward, and I don't think this has ever happened. <laughs> I think this is pretty much uncharted waters in in professional sports. Um, what, what was your first take on it? Well, I have to admit, CL, my first take was my first take was that uh, it's over, folks. Are you serious? Are you serious? Look, playing defense, playing defense changes this whole narrative. Bottom line, I mean, okay, so you missed a call. I mean, or, or they missed a call or whatever. But my goodness, are we unable to recover? That's, that was my first thought, Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is just setting a dangerous precedent. Um, like, are, are, are we going to we're, – we're already a society that spends, in my opinion, way too much time – uh, you know, trying to litigate everything, and this this is just adding to it. Um, but I I think it is interesting that you know I mean this this attorney uh, his name is Antonio Lamont is going to essentially have Roger Goodell 
under oath for a deposition, which <laughs> what if he goes off the rails and has something that has nothing to do with the game? I, I, I wonder if it, there there would be anything uh, anything discovered during this time that, that would make people kind of raise their eyebrows about. So, wait, you're talking about discovered by, by, in the process of making the call? Is that what you're talking about or something? Peripheral? No, I'm saying the attorney is going to have Roger Goodell in for a deposition, and he's going to be sitting there answering questions under oath. So, uh, right. you know, if, if this if the attorney tried to rope something else in, like that, that maybe had a uh, peripheral. Uh, like if he brought something in like like deflate gate or something you know if if he put Roger Goodell in a position where he had to answer some other NFL related question that maybe could tie into just general conspiracies of the league anyway you know what i mean like like i think uh that would that to me that would be the only thing i get out of this something something quirky something kind of funny well i think that you know this this guy is a now we got to know that he's a Saints super fan right so you know um, person who goes all the games and gets dressed and all that stuff and he happens to be an attorney as well so he really felt it he really felt the hit and he has not let go of his quest to get something done about it so I I would actually I would actually say that cat is going to be so focused on um, uh, trying to get his 75 grand and his W. Because uh, it, it would take quite a bit of maneuvering for him to be able to. Because remember, you know, Goodell's representation, they could easily object to something that's off the rails. They can say, well, that has no bearing. But if, if I guess if he maneuvered really well, he could. You know, it seems to me that if he's doing that, though, it's, he's going to lose focus of his, his main purpose and. Um, you know, and not not be able to win this seventy five thousand. By the way, do you know? I don't know where the seventy five thousand dollars. Why that's the amount seventy five thousand damages. I I don't either. But uh, according to the Associated Press, that money would all go to charity. It would all be donated right. to charity anyway. But um, <laughs> so I guess this guy is just about principalities. Um, <laughs> I think it's 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 interesting though. He's he's alleging fraud by NFL officials. The other thing to me that came to mind is if and and really frankly would be the only time I I would agree with the lawsuit actually coming to light like this is if if there was some kind of knowledge of of gambling ties to this. Like if there was some way to trace it. You know, you remember the NBA referee. Um, I forgot his name, Donahue or something like that, back in the, a few years back, who uh, who essentially kind of got caught up with with some gamblers and stuff like that, and and and, and you know he was in ended up being convicted. Uh, if there was a situation like that where where you knew or he this this attorney had some kind of knowledge or whatever, or anybody had knowledge that an NFL official had some ties like that then i then i would be all for this kind of lawsuit but i don't know man this just doesn't as you said at some point you just got to let it go there's a human element a human error in sports and you know they just got caught behind one 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with it. I and again, I still, <laughs> I might be in the way minority, but I still stand by the the concept that it's it's possible. I mean, looking at the different angles of that play, I could see personally, just me personally, I could see how they missed it. I could see how they could have missed it. Now, that's just me. That's something we we butted heads before. Um, but I'm telling you, um, I, I could I could actually see where where their their point of view might have caused them to to really kind of miss um, just how kind of flagrant that appeared to be, you know, what they're focused on. So, and then maybe also probably you know being tentative to make such a huge call anyway. Well, if if that were really the case, then they have no business being officials in a, a game of such magnitude as an NFC Championship game in the first place. I mean, it's this is the equivalent of a crime in broad daylight. Like it, it was out there on an island for all to see. This wasn't somebody getting held in the in the middle between the center and guard on a blitz or something like that where, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of action going around and people in between and you can't see. Like, you, you should be in a position to make a game. I mean, as a receiver out, you know, on a pattern towards the sideline, you should be in a position where you're seeing how how soon, uh, you know, the uh, the defender got there. Um, so, I don't know. That was That was a horrible call that they never should have missed, but they missed it. Well, I'm, y- y- yes, you know, you know, yes, but I got to go back, and this kind of goes with kind of that CL logic when it comes to when it comes to referees. I mean, again, I mean, they, there were multiple chances in that game for the Saints to just play defense, just play defense, and you know, and when I say that, obviously, I mean play effective defense that could stop them, and we're not having this conversation if they if they. Just play effective defense. In fact, uh, so the, the Saints were up. The, the Saints were up by three points with uh, what is it? A minute and forty-one seconds left in the game. They were up by three points. And now you tell me if I'm if I'm looking at this wrong, but I yeah, it looks like yeah, Zerline hit that forty-eight yard field goal to win it. That this they marched right down the field. They marched right down the field, you know, and 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 got what they needed there to send it into overtime. Right there is, you know, right there you need stops. So I mean, again, and I hate to be that guy too, you know. I I, I hate to be that guy, but I gotta say, I gotta say, defense. Hey man, we're AFC North, man. That's 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 how we do it, man. Defense. You got you to play your defense. We. So, we're going to wrap that up. There are no lawsuits that will be pending here over uh, any missed calls because we're going to go to our sponsors right now and take a break. But keep it locked in on 97.9 The Hill and come on back and visit with us at Sibling Rivalry Sports. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. We've got college football lurking right around the corner here. So let's jump into some uh, 
some topics that have been coming up here recently related to it. I, I thought it was it, it was interesting, uh, not not in a good kind of way, when uh, the Pac-12 commissioner Larry Scott kind of uh, floated out the idea of the Pac-12 conference moving to. Uh, well, not totally moving, but, you know, having some 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific time kickoffs in order to get more Pac-12 teams kind of in the time slots where East Coast and basically the majority of the country can watch Pac-12 football and they don't have to stay up late and catch the Pac-12 after dark because we all know people uh, by that time on Saturday nights, a lot of people have other things to do. So, uh, so yeah, I think sometimes maybe people don't appreciate the brand of football that they're playing out there because they just frankly don't see it a lot. So what, what do you think about, hey, you lived in Portland, you lived in Seattle, what, what do you think about a 9 a.m. kickoff if you were uh, part of uh, a Pac-12 fan base? And CL, if you don't mind, I'm trying to erase that whole Portland stint off. I'm just kidding. Met some great people out in Portland, actually. But um, yeah, most of my time out there, the the basically the decade I spent out there was in Seattle. And I have to say, you know, having come from the South and still really having the East Coast mentality when it came to sports and watching sports, I enjoyed you know getting up in the morning and 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 catching. You know the the pregame shows and the hype crowd, and, and then c- catching some early games out there on a Saturday. I, that was uh, that was fun. You know, I, I personally liked it, but that's because I'm from the South. So uh, you know, teams that were of interest to me, including uh, the Tar Heels, you know, were sometimes playing at that point. And I was good with that. Now I look at these teams. There's just one thought I have, CL, and that is that uh, now I, I actually think it's a good idea. You know, it, it could because. Yes, it's true that their visibility hurts them uh, with the rest of the country. So I think it can be a good idea, but I'm just thinking, why now? Why now? Some of their power teams are down. I think USC has the makings of something good, but you know they were down last year. They were they had a losing record overall, five and seven. And uh, Utah won their South Division last year. Washington, which is really I would say the class of the Pac-12, Washington's retooling this year. Washington State, they're up and down. They'll, they'll, every now and then they'll have a flashing event. And, and Oregon is fun to watch, but, you know, Oregon was 5-4 and four in the conference last year. So I, I'm just saying, why now? It would seem like they'd want to build up, you know, their, their, their power teams, especially their traditional powers. Arizona State, now that's, that's another fun team to watch, you know, uh, with our with our, our coach, uh, the former Eagle uh, defensive back, uh, you play to win the game. I mean, that, that, no, that's fun, but uh, are they good? And will people watch anyway? Uh, I kind of like it, but I kind of think timing's not the greatest. Well, I think regardless of what kind of teams they have, this is a horrible idea, absolutely horrible idea, because you gotta you got to think of the totality of a football experience on game day. It's one thing you talk about being from the East Coast and, and living out West and being excited to get up and watch games. That's, that's just you watching TV. That's not you physically getting prepared 
most most likely tailgating, wanting to set up and tailgate and sit and spend time with your friends and other fans before the game. Which, if it's a 9 a.m. kickoff, what, <laughs> what are you going to get out there at 6 a.m. for a football game? And I'm not even going to mention, you know, the beer and the liquor that people like to consume before games. That's that's way too early to be starting that. Um, I, I, I've heard people that consistently complain, and NC State's fan base is, is one base that, uh, that I've heard complain about noon kickoffs. <laughs> because they don't feel like they have enough time to kind of prepare and and do everything they want to do before just kind of being thrown in there uh, for for a game. So and they complain about that at Louisville too. They hate noon kickoffs. So a nine a.m. kickoff that would even throw it. That's that that's even worse from a uh, you know just a pre- preparation standpoint from from a fan's point of view. So uh, my thing. My thing was why okay if you're gonna if you want to go earlier, what's wrong with noon? What's wrong with noon Pacific? That's still three p.m. Eastern, and yes, you're gonna be competing against other games in a time slot, but you put your product out there and let people see that that's definitely not you know a seven o'clock start, which would be ten o'clock on the East Coast, and nobody's gonna see the end of that game. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I still think, though, if you're going to put yourself right in the middle of the afternoon, that's, uh, to me, that's solid territory for, you know, your power schools on the other side of the country doing their thing, you know, around the norm. The only the only thing is we're talking is we're talking prime time. So if, if a team is in prime time, then, yes, you know, a noon start from the West could be okay and i know that they have some you know they already have games that start you know around that time noon in their time i think they're just trying to see if there's any way peripherally they could you know do something but i wanted to ask you cl what do you think about students so we're talking you know they're they're fans that come to the game and alums and stuff but what about students what do you think a student kind of turnout for a nine o'clock game would be like i mean it's it's the same thing i think i think it would be they want the same kind of tailgating and and pregame stuff, pregame activities too. So uh, what I said before stands. I mean, I, I don't think it would be a very popular idea. I think people would trickle in late to games and that kind of stuff. I, I don't think it would be a full, a packed student section at nine a.m. Oh, you don't think so? Like, uh, no. Like, or... They just went out Friday night, too. Like, no, there's no way they're coming in there at 9 a.m. Nobody wants to go to an 8 a.m. class as a student. What? What? Why would they want to go to a 9, 9 a.m. Saturday morning kickoff? <laughs> you sleep in. <laughs> like, you don't want to get it's up that because, early. Well, it's because you're not, you know, taking notes and, and you know, needing this for the exam and stuff. I mean, I, see, you know what, CL? Again, I'm not the big fan of Pac-12 football in general, and and I've never been the big fan of Oregon uh, before. Recently, though, I do I do like their coach uh, right now. So, but uh, we, I, I would have to say, we got to go out to Oregon because if I think out there in Oregon, those kids would be out there um, at 9 a.m. That place would be full on packed. At nine, no chance, no chance. 
Well, I guess we're going to see, right? I guess we will. My name is just way, way too early. Uh, But so speaking of packed houses, North Carolina announced that they sold out their season tickets uh, for the first time. Actually, was it since 2008? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so the the Mac effect. <laughs> uh, yes. So far, it's it's a good experience for Carolina. And I love what Coach Mac Brown said at media day, which is, you know, you got to do your part. You know, fans, if you if you want the team to win, you got to do your part. You know, I love that. I love the way he said that. He wasn't, you know, uh, he wasn't pulling any punches. He say, hey, we got to pack this thing out. We got to pack this thing out. See, how did you know the stadium? The stadium had blown up to sixty-one thousand. You know, that's that's legit stadium size. That's like getting in the NFL neighborhood right there. You know, uh, but but when they added the seats, I think in the blue zone, when they you know took the blue jeans out and added you know back to seats, that that knocked it that knocked it back down. I think by ten grand. So it's I think it's around fifty fifty one now. 51,000 and so that makes it more important even more important you know the fans come out and so yeah I think and I do I do think there's some compelling games this season you know uh, um, uh, Appalachian State come to town um, Clemson coming to town which you know again we talked about on the show and you think that <laughs> you think there's no chance but again quoting Herm Edwards from Arizona State you play to win the game I, they, they go try to win and uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to see uh, that the fans have responded. And I think in kind, I think in kind the team will. Well, I, I think it's also important to note, and, and we had a story on The Athletic uh, written by Nicole Auerbach on, uh, that, that ran on Wednesday about declining football attendance. And it's one thing to actually have tickets. It's another thing to actually show up. So especially later in the season when the novelty is worn off and your team has lost some games and that kind of stuff, like, <laughs> to me, it, it, it's it's a good start, certainly. But um, I think there's got to be a lot of follow-through to, to, to make it mean anything. Oh, yeah, the team... You know, I think there's an equal balance. What you're saying, too. I think the team needs to perform. The team needs to perform and show promise and come through with victories as well. You know, I would say though, CL, I, I look at that. I look at that statistics, and I think in that report, you know, about declining attendance, and I think, well, there there's so much availability now for games. I mean, you know, let's just flash back to when, again, going back to when I lived on the West Coast of Seattle, you know, there were definite times that I was fully blacked. I had no clue how to how to watch a, a, a Carolina game. Forget about it. Are you crazy? There's no way. Not not any kind of paid option, nothing. There's no way to watch it. But now, especially with the ACC network coming, you, you have the ACC network – you know, you have all of the ESPN networks. You have all of the Fox Sports Network, Fox Sports South. You have Stadium Network. You know, we've had uh, one of their anchors on the show before. I mean, you know, you have a lot of different outlets. And really, there's not, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think that there's a Carolina game that you are not able to watch in some way, shape, or form. 
sometimes the games are blacked out. But wait a minute, know. though. <laughs> I don't think people that don't come to the games are necessarily still watching. They're not coming because they can watch it on TV. I, I mean, I, I, I think uh, that the attendance still is, is more there. People have other stuff to do, period. There's more things grabbing at your attention than just, you know, I got to be out at a football game on Saturday. Yeah, well, I mean, so I fall squarely on the other side, thinking that people – you seem to be saying that you believe people are losing interest in college football. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, I'm not totally saying that. The, 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 the statistics to me I don't think would, would prove that. But I think that just because – you could not go to a game and not watch a game, and that doesn't mean that your, your interest is declining. You just got other things to do. Oh, well – I, I, and and come on, let's be let's be frank here though. Like Carolina football is not the standard <laughs> that we probably should be examining in this either. And that's why Nicole Auerbach went to Alabama to do this study on on the attendance dropping because obviously they've got national championships after national championships, and they still have had uh, have a problem here uh, keeping their stands full. Yeah, no, I mean. Well, in this case, Carolina is not the standard, in, but Carolina is an interesting side study because Carolina's numbers have gone up and Carolina has sold out, and that flies in the face of the trend. Yes, see, I, I do. Well, well let's also be clear, too, though, that so, let's be clear that the season ticket is a certain allotment. It's not 51000 for the stadium capacity, the season ticket right. base was what I think it was around thirty thousand. I, I I don't have the exact number in front of me, but uh, so even if all the season ticket holders show up, there could still be, you know, a percentage of of no shows in the stadium. And there will be, you know, there'll be some type of percentage of no shows, but but for the sake of selling the game out, I think they effectively have done that and 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 also you you gotta there's there's a huge chunk of student student attendance in the games as well but i I, again i i really i gotta stick by my point i really believe the access the availability of games if you look if you're thinking okay am i gonna go drive you know an hour to the game and it, it might rain you know and the team's not so hot am i gonna do that or can i can i just flip them on you know fox sports south and they can have that game right now. I think I'm going to stay and, and invite people over, and, and we'll do it that way. I, I tell you, I really believe that. No, I mean, I, I agree. I agree that happens. That that happens for sure. Um, but I also think that that speaks to the the football experience. Um, I think they need to make some more changes in the game to have a faster flowing. Air. There's nothing to me more frustrating than sitting at a football game and you see the dude with the red hat on on the sideline come onto the field in the red flat jacket. He's he's basically the, the guy who gives the TV cue. Uh, he, he gives the marks for the referees to understand, hey, we're in commercial right now, so everybody needs to just stand still, hold on until we get back from this commercial break. And then he gives them the signal, and then they go play. There's nothing more frustrating to me than to sit and wait. Like, everybody's ready. Let's just play. Let's just watch the game. Like, that's that's – they need to get hologram ads so that the action can keep going in football. Hologram ads. 
mean yes on tv like you're watching it and it's not really on the field but it's like you know an ad for whatever coca-cola yes they need to get that going fast because because going to commercial break i mean that just breaks up the flow football has a horrible flow of the game like the the to go to commercial after the kickoff, you score a touchdown. Commercial, you kick the ball off. Commercial. Like let's just play the game. Let's just see the game go up and down. Let's just see it played. All these stop unnatural stoppages. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but on that note, we got natural stoppages here because <laughs> we have to go to commercial break. But come back with us on the other side. Keep it locked on 97.9 The Hill, Sibling Rivalry Sports. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill, where we always chill. It's time for some college basketball talk and P.J. Harrison, University of North Carolina basketball alum, is in the news. In fact, CL has had an exclusive with him. CL, what's going on? Yeah, P.J. played in the basketball tournament. We kind of skimmed, talked a little bit about that Elam ending that the tournament uses um, last week on the show. So uh, he made his debut with CP3, uh, the team that Chris Paul's uh, uh, grassroots organization, basically the the people that played on his team were people that came through his grassroots organization. So so Kennedy Meeks, also a Carolina alum, was on it. Uh, Nate Mason played at Minnesota alum. He was on it. So P.J. hadn't played. P.J. actually announced his retirement last year like uh, around July of last year from basketball. And it, it's kind of a, a, it's, you know, potentially a fascinating story if he could get back to the league from where he was because he he essentially said he was in a dark place. You know, he he gained, uh, he, he was weighing 200, around 275 pounds, which was about 50 pounds over the weight he played when he was uh, in college and, and the, the couple of years that he was in the league. So uh, he's trying to work his way back, and the, the basketball tournament was the first step in doing that. Um, the funny thing that I think when I think about this is it seems like P.J. played such a long time ago, and P.J. is, is old. I mean, he's 26. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's like if he makes a comeback, like now's the time to do it because he still has some years, you know, some years he could be effective for a team or organization but right now he's you know just basically trying to work out and and uh, work his way back the the great thing about this story was that i mean he came back and he hit the game winning shot in the first game that cp3 played in the the basketball tournament so and to be back in greensboro which is where he's from and and come through like that was was a you know it was a nice cherry on top you know of the story right now but uh i think he's matured some uh, and and obviously I, I don't profess to know him deeply or anything like this this was our first conversation in in like 5 years or so um 
uh, or actually six years, <laughs> six years ago was when he was uh, a, a junior and, and ended up not playing for Carolina the 2013-2014 season. But um, I think he's matured since then. And one of the things he talked about in the story I wrote was, you know, he, he had a baby boy back in April and just, you know, holding that, holding his son and thinking about the way he wanted his son to view him. And he, he said something, I'm paraphrasing him, that he didn't want his son to live a life and not see his dad be great. And so that I think that was powerful, kind of a powerful inspiration for him, powerful moment for him at the time. What what do you remember about PJ as a player at Carolina? Well, well, may I say first of all, Steve, uh, ec- excellent reporting right there. That's great. Um, you know what I remember is that PJ. I think I don't think anybody would argue against the claim that he has special ability. He he, to me he elevates he escalates into the, the the area of the special he has special abilities and special skills as a player and i think people sometimes focus so much on the physical aspect of athletics but that mental aspect is a huge part of it and if he was in a black place if that's what he reports that he was in a black place and now a black i'm sorry a dark place and he's coming back you know saying that he's got a better mentality about things that's uh that's huge that's huge and and we saw the initial results of it when he comes back i mean what a confidence booster that is he comes back and and hits the shot now the confidence there the i still got it is there 26 i mean that's nothing clc how 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 many years just it if you kind of just average it out how many years could that net him as a professional player 26 well how many more years would you say um, I mean, well, it, it, the way he shoots the ball and the way the game has trended towards shooters now, um, I mean, I think he could get five or six years if he got back, you know, five or six solid years. I, the thing for him, frankly, to me, uh, besides, I think he'll be able to lose the weight. He said he was the when he weighed himself right before the tournament, um, which was basically 10 days ago, roughly, um, he was about 247 pounds. So he's got about another 20 to go before he'll really feel good about, you know, his his playing condition. But um, more than anything else, more than physically, more than skill set, he's going to have to prove to teams that he's matured. I mean, ultimately, that's what it's going to come down to because they're (laughs) they're not going to trust him based on his previous track record. So um, and I, I don't know how you do that necessarily. Uh, outside of he, he said he has a contract right now to go play in Chile, which he would will, will, will do in September, unless somebody twists his arm before then and comes with a better offer somewhere else, um, be it G League or or what have you. So, I think we're we're there'll be more to this story. I think we're going to follow up and 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 see how he uh, how his road uh, develops. But I. I I'm not gonna root. I'm not gonna count him out now. I, I think this is something where um, he he seems to be focused and serious right now, and and I think he'll he'll have a shot at you know kind of getting back on the level that he was used to playing. Now whether that means he'll be in the NBA, I don't know because I, as I said, I think he has 
he has a hurdle to jump in, in terms of proving himself. And, and one of the things that I think, too, with that is uh, this might work in his favor. The, the Kind of the stuff that he, you know, the, the transgressions that he had back then, it was all it was more like knuckleheaded immaturity kind of stuff. It wasn't just like malicious kind of things, you know, driving without uh you know, driving without uh, a license, um uh speeding tickets, uh you know, he he missed I remember with the Hornets when he was with the Hornets, he got suspended twice, one for like missing a shoot around or or uh, missing a weightlifting session, like things that just really spoke to him not being focused and, and being immature. It wasn't really like malicious things where you question if this guy is a good dude or not. So um, we'll see how this all plays out. I, I think it was important for him to get the ball rolling, uh, you know, however big or small, <laughs> as the case may be with, with TBT. They only they played three games and lost, and so they didn't keep it. They didn't advance in the tournament anymore. But um, I think it'll be something to keep an eye on. Hey, uh, and see, I do want to say real quick, uh, you know, this article being available on theathletic.com uh, right now, college basketball. But I also want to just throw in a quick congrats to theathletic.com for getting half half a million subscribers. Is that right? That is correct. We are number three right now in terms of uh, subscription-based media behind New York Times and Wall Street Journal. So that's it's, it's a huge achievement. Uh, we we want to keep pressing, and we hope <laughs> some of your listeners out there, we hope to be uh, we hope to present a good enough product that you'll be interested in subscribing to. And on that note, hey, you don't have to pay for a subscription to Sibling Rivalry Sports. <laughs> That's right. So come check us out. Stay with us. Come back after this commercial break on 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. I'm C.L. Brown with my brother Chris Brown, and we're going to jump right into the brownout. The brownout. LeBron James caused an uproar by simply joining the layup line for his son's AAU game. Do you agree with the criticism that he's being an overbearing parent? So LeBron James, man, is not a regular parent. This isn't him. This isn't if you or I jumped in a layup line with our kid in the AAU game. People would be like, what, what are they doing? Like, the kids love having LeBron around. He's, he's I mean, if I had a chance, if Jordan was <laughs> in the stands right. or, or on the sideline and had a kid on my team when I played, I would have loved to have any kind of access to him and for him to be around. I think this is just, this is people have way too much time on their hands making comments on what he's doing. I have to agree 100%. Um, who doesn't love, you know, having LeBron's there? He could go Hollywood with it and, and put the shades on and just, you know, be wrapped in security in the back and not want to interact. Or he could do what he does, get out there, you know, go through a layup line, encourage, you know he's out there encouraging kids and saying good job and that type of thing. Come on, people, please. <laughs> Next question. Stephen Curry says Golden State had an FU attitude in its game six win over Houston. Surprised he would make that statement? 
Yeah, man, I, this doesn't surprise me. I, I'm kind of glad to hear it from Steph Curry because he's taken a lot of backlash of, quote-unquote, not being able to be the guy when it matters. And I think it just goes to he went into that game with a chip on his shoulder and was, was ready to uh, to shut it down. And he got that accomplished because they closed Houston out in game six. Yeah, and, you know, I guess he kind of got that phrase, that FU kind of phrase mentality from from teammate Jordan Peele, the rookie. Um, I think that's, that was a topic earlier. Jordan today. Bell. <laughs> Did I say You said Peele, like the comedian, movie director. <laughs> okay, sorry, Jordan Bell. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a, it, that's a callback to that. And I think that... Yeah, I think that um, I was surprised. I'm not going to lie. You know, I was surprised to hear that coming from Curry, but I, I see where he was going with it. So, forward. Cleveland Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield chewed out his veteran receivers at a recent practice. Does he have the cloud to do that in just his second year? Baker Mayfield, to me, is, is on the surface, uh, normally I would say, he needs to calm down because those are veteran guys in his group. But I give him the benefit of doubt on this because if they were going over something in the film room or, or whenever before practice and they were supposed to do things a specific way and then they got out and they were just kind of going through the motions, that'd get me mad too. And so I think what we'll be telling is the receiver's reaction you know, from this incident, if this is going to be something that continues on and maybe he's just a hothead or if it's something where, you know what, he was right. Even though we're veterans, we weren't doing this correctly and let's get better. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Unfortunately, the, the F-bomb is another topic here because he dropped one in that. And I think it's possible to get upset and, and you know, demanding of your teammates in a leadership type of a way. But you've got veteran receivers out there who've played the game much more than he has, who've been in much more crucial circumstances than he has, and, and also know what the scope of preseason is. You know, I, I don't know all the uh, variables that are happening up there, but... Hey, um, I just happen to believe it's not going to work out that well, especially the coach. I, I'm, I'm just beside myself that Greg Williams is not coaching, and they got this Freddie Kitchens guy. I cannot wait for the Ravens to go up against these guys. Hall of Fame coach Bill Walsh used to take snaps on the locker room floor before big games to get his team to relax. Will that tactic fly in today's game? Man, Bill Walsh to me was kind of weird for that. Like, I don't think that would fly in today's game. I think people would just look at him like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could you even do that today. I mean, like, I don't think it's effective. You know, the, with all the locker room, the, the music, that is a true subculture, the music of the NFL locker room. Like, people, veterans get dibs to blast their music and that type of thing. So I don't know how a coach it, but I'll be honest with you, see, I could totally see, I could see Harbaugh doing something like that. I could see him, I could totally see him trying to do that. So, Cincinnati Reds pitcher Amir Garrett charged and took on virtually the entire Pittsburgh Pirates dugout in a brawl on Tuesday. Who's the one player you'd like to take a swing at who has gotten you that mad? For me, the the one player that came to mind who's kind of 
got under my skin and I never liked him, Bill Romanowski. Uh, I, I would I would full on make a, <laughs> a charge off the mound, the equivalent of that, on Bill Romanowski. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, just kind of the antagonist thing going on there and stuff. And for me, it was probably... Um, I, I probably would would think Elway, although John Elway, although he wasn't super antagonistic, I just he just irritated me. So it would probably be my fault. But yeah, I could see charging, charging on the sideline, Elway, just because I was mad. Hopefully, the listeners have never gotten that mad with us <laughs> to want to charge at us. But that's our time for today. We thank you for tuning in. I'm CL Brown. And I'm Chris Brown, and this is Sibling Sibling Rivalry Rivalry Sports Sports. on 97.9 The Hill.